If you are sick of oppressive religious systems, but are not willing to let go of faith altogether, this podcast is for you. In this show, we hear from inspirational people tackling real issues of faith that actually matter in this world. Welcome to Jesus Never Ran. The church is wrong to argue that the Bible justifies any sort of discrimination, oppression, marginalization of those who are not straight. Well, the reason why you ain't got no black folks in your congregation is because we don't show up to places where we're not welcome, and we know we're not welcome based off the conversations you demand that we don't have because of the questions you insist on us not asking because of the answers you don't want to live. And the idea that the best being in the universe can't come up with a better solution to the problems of the universe than to torture people forever, eternally, you just start thinking, if that's as good as God is, this is a pretty depressing universe. Hey everyone, before we jump into the interview, just a couple of quick words about our sponsors, Rise Nutrition from Menominee. You can find out all about what they have going on by going to Facebook and looking up Rise Menominee, and that's Rise with a Z. A couple of things they have going on in August is some special flavors, including a flaming tea blast and wait for it, a lemon poppy seed shake. That sounds incredible. Again, you can find them at Rise Menominee on Facebook or give Angie a call at 715-309-2706. And then our friends over at Infinity Beverages, don't forget that Thursday is buy one, get one for club members. And if you want more information on how to sign up or if you want to order online, go to infinitybeverages.com. Hey everyone, so great to be with you again today. One of the highlights of every week that I have is recording this podcast, so I'm so thankful for all of you who listen. Finishing up today talking about the Bible, it's been such a incredible conversation with so many wonderful people. We started out with Deborah Lloyd out in Portland, Oregon, just such insight. She talked about the fortress of certainty. Ah, so good. And then we went down to California and heard from Brandon Robertson, who's doing some incredible work in so many ways and just such a unique and interesting perspective on the Bible and scripture in general. Ellen Heratunian takes a psychotherapist and Benedictine oblate look at the Bible, which you'll never hear that said again. And then finally, last week, we heard from Father Scott Jenkins, who was so heartfelt and so relevant, even in his discussion about ancient ways of thinking about faith and the Bible. So we're going to finish up, just wrap it all up this week before we move forward. Give you a little bit of heads up of what's coming. Matt's going to take a little bit of a break over the next two weeks because I can. And I'm going to introduce you to a good friend of mine, Nate Carlson, and he has a podcast called Pontification. He turned the microphone around and interviewed me a couple months back. And so I'm going to air that interview for you so you can hear what it's like when I'm put on the other side of the microphone. So that'll be the next couple of weeks. And then rolling into the fall, we've got some great guests coming on. A gentleman by the name of Xavier Ramey from down in Chicago. He was such a joy to talk to and just had so much energy and wisdom that 
that conversation is definitely going to need to be two podcasts. So that'll be coming out this fall. Also super excited about this. Hey, as a music lover, I have Jennifer Knapp on the show. I'm actually going to put that one out on my birthday because that's a little birthday present to myself. One of my favorite musicians, Jennifer Knapp. I'm going to have her on the show talking about all sorts of great things. And who else do I have coming up? Oh, we've got Shane Claiborne later this fall. If you don't know Shane Claiborne, just Google him and you will find out how spectacular this guy is. Of course, many other interviews on top of those. Those are just some of the highlights that I know are coming up soon. But before we get there, we've got to finish up this conversation about the Bible. So here is why we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about the Bible because it is extremely controversial, I would say, in so many ways, because all of us have a bit of a different experience with it. Some of those experiences good, some of those experiences bad. For so many of us, the Bible is what I would say equal parts inspirational and life-changing and then also frustrating and extremely hurtful. And if on any level our faith is connected to the Bible or the scriptures, then it's our responsibility to find a way to make peace with it. Either that peace is we're going to set it down forever and say, I'm done with it, or that peace is we're going to have some sort of understanding of how to look at this in a way that makes sense going forward. So we have people who would call themselves Christians who would believe that the Bible is, I would say, almost magical. There is a gentleman that I'm connected with, and he once shared a story with me about a friend of his that got in a really nasty car accident. Well, his friend survived that car accident without even a scratch on his body. And this guy's response to me was this. He said, there was a Bible on the dashboard of his car. And what he was inferring is that because there was a Bible on the dashboard of his car when he got in this horrible car accident, that is why he survived. So it's almost like this magical thing. You just have it with you and it does all sorts of wonderful things. Which leads me to the question of, well, if the Bible was there and it was somewhat magical, why did he get in the car accident in the first place? But we won't go there. Others believe that it is like this curse. So we've got some people who believe it to be nearly magical and other people believe it to be a curse that is honestly sending them to hell. Because if you believe that the Bible is the word of God and you believe that what it says is true and then you read verses that seem to say that based on who you are, that is not accepted in the kingdom of God, then you could see this Bible as something that's condemning you to hell. And I'll point out the obvious example, which would be the LGBTQ community. And if you think that way in any way, shape, or form, make sure that you go back and check out some of the earlier podcasts this year. We did three weeks on the LGBTQ community, did a couple weeks on heaven and hell, and those might help you get a better perspective on this. Now, my story with the Bible, as I always mention on this show, I'm sure you're getting sick of hearing this, but I grew up Catholic, and I was never encouraged to read the Bible growing up. I would even go so far as to say I was encouraged not to read the Bible. There was this thought, this prevalent thought 
in the Catholic Church I grew up in, that the priest was the one with the authority to read the Bible, and everybody else was to learn the Bible from how the priest was reading or interpreting the Bible. I remember once I was going home from church and I even asked my parents, I said, hey, shouldn't we be reading the Bible that we talk so much about in church? And they said exactly that. They said, nope, that's what the priest is for. So we don't need to worry about it at all. And I'll never forget in my house growing up, I can picture it right now as I'm talking to you about it. There was a closet in between my bedroom and my brother's bedroom. You open that closet up and there sat the one Bible that was in our household never was open. The closet wasn't even open for that matter, but the Bible was in that closet. When I was in high school, a good friend of mine, and he was several years older than me, so he was almost more of a mentor slash friend, but he bought me a Bible. And so it was the first time that I really had my own Bible, not like the family Bible, but this Bible that was in my hands in my bedroom on my nightstand next to my bed. And that was really the first time that I ever opened up the Bible for myself and tried to read it for myself. And and that's exactly what I did. I read it all the time, every single day, got really infatuated with this book that was given to me. And from that day forward, I would carry the Bible around with me everywhere I went. If you talk to some people who are my friends from, let's say, age 17 till 30, they can tell you that anywhere Matt went, his Bible was with him. Doesn't mean I was reading it. It was just always with me. And I worked so hard because I was in ministry, so I worked really, really hard to defend that Bible in so many ways. And I would dig into what were called apologetic books. Apologetic simply means kind of the theory behind defending the Bible. Some, somebody has a question about the Bible. Apologetics really explains their question away, but it's, it's really always skewed. But I just consumed all these apologetic books because I wanted to make sure I could defend this Bible that meant so much to me. Then I went into a career as a public speaker, a Christian public speaker, chaplain, pastor, and I would have to study the Bible so that I could teach it to other people. And that's when things started getting a little bit hairy for me because as I was studying it and as I was preparing to give messages to people, to teenagers, to prisoners, to people in my church community, I would start having these questions. I would see some cracks in my ideologies. So I'm going to teach this group of people this thing, yet when I read this, it seems to have some cracks. But I just kind of kept overlooking them. I couldn't explain them away, but I just kept kind of shoving them down. And then I had this moment in my life, and this was just about four or five years ago from this date right now. I had this moment when finally I stepped outside of organized evangelical ministry. And it was like the first time in about 20 years that I no longer had a position within a church or a ministry or something like that where I really had to take certain stances on things like the Bible. And when I was fully disconnected from that line of work and from church and evangelicalism, I finally, for the first time in my, I'll say in my entire life, had the freedom to explore faith and the Bible 
without looking over my shoulder. And those of you who have ever worked in ministry or many of you who have ever just been to church on a regular basis, you know what I'm talking about. Because you might have some questions or some thoughts, some things you want to discuss, but you're scared to even bring it up because you're wondering about what somebody might say or you're wondering who's going to overhear it and think that you're going off the deep end. And so that was really the first time that I got to think about life, faith, and specifically the Bible without this expectation of viewing it in a certain way. And that is when things started getting really interesting. And I would say that is when things started to get really exciting because this journey has not taken me farther away from my faith. It's actually connected me more deeply and intimately with this God that I was always looking for in different ways. And one by one, I started honestly asking the questions that all along I was so afraid to bring up. The first and I would assume the most obvious question that a lot of people have about the Bible is, is the Bible infallible? Is the Bible inerrant? Inerrant simply means that the Bible is without error. Infallible is kind of a weird term, but basically what it means is the Bible is incapable of leading someone astray, which that infallible word just drives me crazy because we all have seen people use the Bible in hurtful and hateful ways. So it's obvious to me that the Bible is not infallible. But let's jump into this inerrant piece, because as I mentioned already, I spent a lot of time reading all of these apologetics books and a lot of what was in these books were examples of how you can explain away, I guess, what we'd call apparent contradictions or how to explain away spaces where the Bible does not seem to be inerrant. But the problem is when you knock down one, there's another thousand of them looking you in the face. And I certainly don't think that the Bible has to be inerrant in order for it to be useful or even inspired. I'll start with this. I would say the biggest contradiction in the Bible is not a specific verse or a couple of verses, but one of the biggest contradictions for me is that much of the Old Testament portrays God as this wrathful, vengeful God. And then we see Jesus in the New Testament, and he's supposed to be the image of God here on earth. They're supposed to be so united. In Hebrews, it talks about how we see God through Jesus on the cross. And so the contradiction I see is this wrathful, vengeful God of the Old Testament with this peaceful Savior in Jesus. And that one for me is the biggest one that I could never in a million years get over. And we'll have that conversation in future episodes. But the Bible was written by human beings. I'm a human being. You're a human being. We all know that we mess up. I mean, I can't get through an email without having like 15 spelling errors, let alone could I write a document or a letter or a book that is totally without error. So it's really insane to think that the Bible would be without error. And I get that it would have to be divinely inspired for it to be without error. But I don't necessarily think that is true either. Here's a couple of examples that, to me, 
I don't think you could possibly explain away. And part of the reason is because the Bible actually shows us that what is being said is incorrect. So if we go to 2 Samuel, this is in verse 24, it says this. It says, the Lord incited David to sin by counting his army. So it says, the Lord incited David. In 1 Chronicles 21.1, we're dealing with the exact same situation. And it says this, Satan incited David to sin by counting his army. So in 2 Samuel, the Lord incites David but in First Chronicles, Satan incites David, and we're talking about the exact same situation. One of those has to be wrong. It was either the Lord or it was Satan. It can't be both. All right, here's some other ones. And these are a little bit, I don't know how to say it, but these are a little bit more detailed. John Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, he misquotes what prophet said what. John Mark in Mark 1-2, he quotes Isaiah. It says, as it is written in Isaiah. But if you look at the Old Testament in the book of Malachi 3.1, you'll find the actual quote that he quoted. So he says that Isaiah said what he quotes, but in reality, the Bible shows us that it was actually Malachi. So John Mark tells us the wrong person that says the quote. Now John Mark messes up again. Go a little bit farther in 2.26. So Mark 2.26, he quotes that the wrong high priest was the high priest at the time he was talking about. And if you look back at 1 Samuel 21, you'll find who the true high priest actually was during the time he was talking about. So he simply says the wrong name of the wrong person. He just gets his history wrong. Does that mean that we throw out the whole Bible? I don't think so. Now, before you start villainizing John Mark for all of his mistakes, let's go to another gospel writer. In the book of Matthew, we'll find in Matthew 27, 9, there's a reference to Jeremiah. But really, that reference belongs to Zechariah, and you'll find it in the book of Zechariah, but not in the book of Jeremiah. So again, the wrong prophet is given credit for a quote or a writing. These are nitpicky little things, but they're important because it just shows us, hey, the Bible actually has errors, but that doesn't mean that it can't be inspired. There's so many things that are inspirational and meaningful and helpful in the Bible. So just because it's not perfect, which it's not, just because it's not perfect doesn't mean that it doesn't have value. It has immense value. I would argue it has more value as an imperfect work than it does as a work of perfection. To me, this idea of inerrancy or infallibility really leads to the second question. This is the one that is what I would call a pet peeve of mine. And that's when people call the Bible the word of God. And what they mean when they call the Bible the Word of God, and I'm not pointing any fingers here because this is what I called the Bible for years and years and years. So when people call the Bible the Word of God, they're identifying it as the main and only true authoritative space that we can look. So if you have a question about something, look to the Bible, look to the Word of God. If you're wondering about something, well, look to the Word of God. And the challenge that I have for that is not whether or not the Bible is the Word of God. I think there's tons of words that we could attribute to loosely being from God, being inspired from God. But when we say that the Bible is the Word of God, 
when we say that, it's this singular thing, the word of God, which means and is meant to mean when people say it, it means that that is the only true word of God. And if that we hear something outside of the Bible, that we need to question whether it's authentic or not. And the way that we question it is if we can validate it with the Bible, with scripture. But that to me is problematic for this reason. According to the Bible, and just for what I feel like I know about God, God is always speaking to us. Whether that's we feel like he speaks to us literally or he's speaking to us figuratively, we have this God who speaks through creation, through dreams, through so many different ways. And we heard a lot of those different ways as we were having these discussions about the Bible. And so why would we ever think that God would stop speaking to us? Why would he think when the last book of the Bible was penned that that is when the voice of God stops? And why from that point forward do we have to validate everything from that point previous? So why do we have to validate everything that we feel God is speaking to us today by looking at what God spoke hundreds, thousands of years ago? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Again, that doesn't mean that there's not inspired words from God in the Bible. It just means Let's not say that's the only space. So if you want to say that the Bible includes words of God, great. But let's stop calling it the word of God because that puts this weight on it that it was never intended to have. That puts this expectation on it that I don't think for a second it was intended to have. And we need to remember that the Bible was put together by a bunch of guys in a room in a period of history, in a very, very, very short period of history, a group of guys got in a room and decided what books were going to be in the Bible. So then we also have to assume that they perfectly heard from God to make sure that the right books were put in the compilation of what we know as the Bible. Like when you say this stuff out loud, it starts to sound crazy, but that doesn't mean we throw out the Bible. It just means we view it a bit differently. Now, if we start taking all of this immense, unbearable weight off of the Bible, of it being inerrant, infallible, the word of God, if we start taking all of that pressure off the Bible, we can view it through a wildly different lens. And a great example is simply this. For so long, people have used the Bible to condemn groups of people. Specifically in modern history, we'll call it, it's really been used to condemn the LGBTQ community. But we could use a lot of different examples and say how the Bible has been used to condemn or put people down. And what people will say is, hey, this is the word of God. It says that people who are gay are going to hell. And then they quote one of six verses or a couple of them without looking into any sort of general context or what was really going on. And they say, obviously, this is a sin. Obviously, these people are going to hell. Well, hey, if we take the weight of this being actual words from God off of the Bible, if we take the weight of this having to be perfect off of the Bible, then we can look at it with a wildly different lens and we can say, what was going on there? What was happening there? Who's saying that? Why they are saying that? 
And I've heard people say, and I can't disagree with this, that, yeah, maybe Paul was a little bit homophobic, but that doesn't mean being gay is a sin. It means Paul was homophobic. I don't know if he was or if he wasn't. I've heard other people say that maybe Paul was gay. Who knows? We don't know the answers to these questions, but it allows us to step back and say, wait a second. Would an all-loving God who's described as love, not just that he does love or can love, would an all-loving God really condemn anybody to hell? But would he specifically have somebody born into this world a certain way and because of the way that they're born into this world condemn them to hell? I mean, that's crazy. So now we can step back and say, okay, let's look at this in a different way. Let's look at this in its true context and take the weight of it having to be perfect off of our shoulders and view it as, hey, this isn't the Bible as like God just zapped this thing down to us. Like one day we had all of these books and they were zapped from heaven right to us so we can look at it and say, this is exactly what God wants to say to us. Actually, it's just people trying to understand God like you and I do, like you and I are doing right this very minute. And so we're trying to understand God and these authors of the different letters and books of the Bible, they're just trying to understand God. And what we get to see in the Bible is the unfolding of their attempts of understanding the divine. And that, my friends, is never going to be perfect. All right, I could keep going on for sure. And there's much better resources than just this podcast to have this discussion about. And I'll put some of those resources in the show notes, some great books and even some great YouTube videos of people that I've learned from and I've been inspired by. But the last thing is this, that the Bible, if it means anything, it has to be relevant to our world today. And our world today is an absolute mess. And the tricky part about this is the traditional way that we viewed the Bible is this very static book or collection of books and letters. If we view the Bible as very static, meaning it's really never changing, never progressing, then we will likely struggle to understand how it is relevant today because there's things going on today in our world that there's no way we can look at anything historically in the Bible and say, oh, that's apples to apples. That makes sense. But if we understand the Bible as this progressive unfolding, this progressive series of books and letters where we can see and understand how the faith and understanding of the authors was unfolding, then we can learn from that and we can take from what they were doing and then apply that to our current situation. So no, you might not be able to find the answers that we're looking for about systemic racial injustice in a modern culture in the Bible, that'll be tricky to find. No, you can't find the answer to so many of the world's problems right now in our modern day through what the Bible says. It'd be really tricky. You'd really have to stretch it out. But if we look at how the authors of these letters and books are unfolding and trying to understand their faith through their situation, we can take that wisdom that we learn from the way they write and what they write about and then just apply it to our life today so then the Bible doesn't become this static document that never changes, but instead, and I think this makes it more divine, instead it becomes this progressive document or series of documents that we can apply today, we could apply years ago, and we'll be able to apply years into the future. So not believing the Bible in 
and I'm using air quotes, the traditional sense that we think of tradition, not viewing the Bible that way actually makes it more powerful and more relevant for today. And that is why we're having this conversation. And that is why it matters. When you listen to the last four episodes that I did where I interviewed people about the Bible, you can tell that even though they don't think about it in the common evangelical traditional sense of understanding the Bible, everybody I interviewed was wildly passionate about scripture, about the Bible. Everyone I interviewed just lit up when they talked about it. And that's because to them, it still matters today. Hey, thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Jesus Never Ran, finishing up our conversation on the Bible. As a reminder, please support this podcast by subscribing to it, also by giving us a five-star rating and taking the time to give a review. Feel free to share these episodes with people that you think they might be relevant for. I would love for people to get their hands on this if this is what they are looking for. As I already mentioned, next couple of weeks, we're going to hear from my friend Nate Carl. Carlson's podcast, Pontification, where we turn the microphone around and he interviews me. Until next time, keep walking.